All right. Well, welcome to Ascent, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here. So glad that you guys are here today. Um, Chris mentioned right at the beginning, some of you guys might not have caught this. He talked about the fact that we are trying hard in this season to encourage people to bring their Bibles to church or to, to at least have their Bible. Or you guys that are at, online, that you would go grab a Bible. And, it, and like he said, if you don't have one, we'd want you guys to, 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 go, to, to, to go get one. And we want to help you to find the right one for you. Or if you can't afford it, we want to help you to purchase the Bible. Because we'd love to have this in everyone's hands. We've been talking about it. We're just saying... You guys, some of you are used to looking online, looking at Bible Gateway or something for your Bible. And, or some of you are just used to, to going on the, looking on the screens when you come to church on Sunday and that's, that's your Bible. But we really want you to feel those pages in your hands. We want you to interact with them. We want you to be able to write stuff down and, 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 and to, to circle a word that maybe has spoke to you or to, uh, to, to underline a, a passage that was exactly what you needed to hear that day or to put a date next to something on an important part, an important time in your life where, you were, where maybe God's word just really jumped off the pages and spoke to you. We want you to be able to interact with, with the Bible. And when I was in, in college, I went to Philadelphia and worked in the projects for a couple of years in in Philly, and, and and we went to this church. Pastor Jenkins was the pastor of this church, and uh, and I loved this man. And and we saw his Bible. It was all beat up. It was it was it had, had torn pages. It was you know we looked at it. We're just going, oh my gosh, tattered and torn Bible. Let's get him a new one. So me and some other people, we decided let's get we put our money together, and we got him this brand new Bible. And we surprised him in the middle of a church service with it. And he was great. He's going, hey, you know what? I love the thought. But he said, but I love my Bible. He said, my, this, is the, this, is, this is telling the story of my life, the number of things that I've underlined, the words that, I, that has, been, has spoken to me, the journaling that I did in the margins, all of those things. It tells the story of my life. And he says, so, so I want to keep this old beat up Bible. And I just thought, and, and you know, for me as a Catholic kid growing up, that was the, you're like, wait, it's beat up. We're not even allowed to drop this on the ground. It's okay, you guys, if you drop a Bible on the ground. God is not going to strike you dead if you drop your Bible on the ground. It's okay if you circle something, highlight something, journal something in the middle of it. It's okay if a page is torn. Oh, my Catholic background as a kid, if a page got torn, it'd be like, I got to do some sort of confession about that. But you guys, it's okay. Let this thing be the story of your life. How cool would it be if at the end, the one thing you'd will off, I've told my kids, I'm not, you're not going to get a lot from me. I'll give you my Bible because <laughs> that'll tell you my life story. And they're like, yeah, pastor's kid. That's what I get, the Bible. You know, so, but that's, how cool would it be to be able to hand something like that off to somebody and say, this is the story of my life. So if you don't have one, will you grab one? We, we intentionally turn the lights up in here a little bit more for you guys that are in the room, that you, just so you guys can read it. We want to be able to read along. Part of the reason why we're doing that in this season and in this series is because we're doing a series on, on how the early church got going. We're looking, at a, we're looking at a book called Acts and how the early church got started and how Paul then, would when he started that, when he got going with that early church, he would write letters back to those churches. Churches, and those became a lot of letters in the New Testament. And so what we're doing is we're trying to connect the dots a little bit because some of you know this well and you know this Bible really well, but some of you were like me in college where I had no idea where anything was. And so we want to help you to navigate this book 
And so we're trying to put, trying to connect some of those dots, okay? Well, here's what's happening right now. Here's, let's, let's get into what we're, we're talking about right now in this series. See, we are talking about, we'll do the background. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John set out to write about the life of Jesus. And Jesus, they wrote about his life, his death, and his resurrection, and then Luke kept going into Acts, into the, into the Acts of the Apostles. He, he, he went into Acts and started writing about the early church, the introduction of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus then ascended into heaven and left us his, the power of the Holy Spirit, introduced us to that. And with that power of the Holy Spirit, these people started to then go from place to place and introduced other folks to who Jesus Christ is through that power of the Spirit. And people started connecting to that. And so then, so that's, that's when we're picking up Paul. And Paul went on these road trips, three different road trips. And on these trips, he established churches. He would go to a place. He would speak to the religious people. Some of those people would gather. Other people would gather from outside of the religious circles. And they started asking more questions. And they started to, they wanted to know more. And that became an early church. And he would do that in some of the major cities in that whole region. He would do it in the major cities. It would be like if today, if he started here in Louisville, planted a sent church, and then went down to Denver and, and planted one down there, and then decided, I'm going to travel all the way to Salt Lake, and I'm going I'm I'm to plant one in Salt Lake City. And we know there's some other religious thought, but man, Paul never shied away from the different religious thoughts that were out there and what else was going on. He's going, I'm going to tell you about the truth of Jesus. So he would have planted one there. And then he would have, if, he was, if this was back then, he would have then moved on to Vegas. And that's what happened when he moved on to Corinth. As he moved on to Vegas and, and, and started talking right there in a place that, wow, doesn't Vegas need it? Which is funny because we all do. So, but, but you just go, okay, so, but he'd go there. And then ultimately his desire was to get to Los Angeles. Back then his desire was to get to Rome. And that's where he, he we'd, and then he, what would happen is he'd, he'd go there, he'd establish a church, and then he'd write the letters back to that church. And then what would happen is these churches would read those letters, these letters of encouragement back to those, th those churches, the letters of, of correction and direction. They would, he would, he, they would read those, and then they'd, they'd copy those and pass those on to somebody else. And they'd read them, and they'd write it down to copy them, and they'd pass them on to another church. And once they were passed along to different churches, eventually people got, got together and they said, okay, this is going to be part of our New Testament. And that's where we get all of Paul's letters that are, that are part of it, okay? So now he's, he's, gone, he's going on these road trip journeys. He went on a road trip, the first one, and, and, and Maurice talked about that a, few, a couple of weeks ago. Then he went on a second road trip, and we talked about it last week. He went to Philippi and got thrown into prison, and then he went to Thessalonica, and he got chased out of there, and he went to Berea, and then he got chased out of Berea, and he went to Athens, and then ultimately went to Corinth, and, he was, and then he was, was going to, then he set sail and, and got back to Antioch, to his home church. Now this week we were, talk, we were going to talk to about Corinth and Maurice was actually going to do that, but Mo's homesick today. And so, uh, so, so we're going we're gonna to skip that. He's going to come back to that and we're going to jump into the third road trip that he went on. This third one, what Paul did, is he didn't plant as many churches as he did encourage those churches. Remember, he left those in hard places 
And so he wanted to get back and encourage them along the way. And so this third journey was a lot of going back, retracing his steps to these other churches that he'd already planted. Okay, so that's where we're at. Let me get that map out. This, I brought this out last week. This super, this is a technical map. I'm sorry. This is a, the cartography at work in me. So here you go. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a where we're at today, present day. So, so let's get that on there first. So this is present day Syria over there on the right. Present day Greece is over here on the left. That's in that area right there. Rome is far to, to the west. And that's where he wants to get to, is to Rome. Now, now one of the things that, that you will read in your Bibles is that you read about regions like Macedonia and Galatia. See, see up there in that top left-hand corner, Macedonia? That's just a little bit north of Greece. And so the, what you'll read is you'll read that he was in Macedonia and then went to, to, to Corinth. Well, Macedonia is that region up there. And so, so then there's another region, Galatia. See on that far right up there is Galatia. And ultimately, he plants a church over there in the region of Galatia that ultimately led to the, to the letter to the Galatians. So, it, so that's that region of Galatia. So that's your, your feel of even what present day would look like in this. The Mediterranean Sea is the big sea and the Aegean Sea is the one to the, that's going north up near Ephesus in that area, okay? That's present day. Now, now, here's what he did. He started in Antioch on this third journey. So, so throw that one up there, Antioch in that corner. Starts down in Antioch, Syria, starts heading north. He visits some churches that he planted, some smaller churches in, in Lystra and in Derby and in, in Iconium. That's all those. And then ultimately, he gets to Ephesus. Ephesus is, is the, the chapter, the, the, the next one that Chris Sturgeon's going to come and speak on. And that's where we get the letter to the Ephesians. So he spends that time in Ephesus. Now, he then goes from there to the places that we talked about last week. He goes and visits Philippi, then to Thessalonica. And from there he went to Berea. And then from there he went back down to Corinth. And from Corinth, he was going to take a ship from Corinth down through the Mediterranean Sea and back to Jerusalem. That was his plan. But what happened was as he was planning on coming from Corinth to Jerusalem, he, they, they, there was a plot that was out to kill him. And so he had to change his plan. Now I'm going to stop right here before we get to where he changed his plan and where we're actually going to get to today. Because I want to I remind us of something, you guys. See, Paul went to Philippi and thrown in jail. Paul went to Thessalonica and is chased out. He went to Berea and was chased out. He's down there in Corinth and he gets, uh, he gets the, 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 the plot to kill him. Like I said last week, there were many times that Paul could have thrown in the towel. And there are many times that he could have said to God, God, come on, I'm doing this for you and this is the response that I get. This is what I have to face. And what I want to remind us as we look at Paul's life, I want to remind us that when you respond to what God is calling you to do, when you feel like you're saying, you're saying God is asking me to do this, or I've, I've, I just, I, a godly person challenged me to do this, and I'm going, I think, that, I think that's God that's challenging me there. When you get that, you don't get the golden ticket to easy outcome. You, we got to remember that. Now, I think a lot of us would say, yes, I fully understand that, but when you're in it, how many times do we say, God, we had a deal. We start this thing up and 
this is supposed to be easy because you told me to do this. But we don't get the golden ticket to easy. What we get is God's promise that he would be with us. See, I remember that when I went to Philadelphia and early on in my time in Philly, I really felt like God was telling me to do that instead of go get my stockbroking job. I was going, man, I'm going to go spend time in the projects in Philly. And it was really hard at first. And I'm sitting there going, come on, Lord. I gave this up for you. But man, he doesn't give us the golden ticket to easy just because we respond. Some of you guys might be in a marriage right now that you're really feeling like the Lord is saying, I, I, want, I want us to work on this area. I need, us, I need some correction here in our marriage. You feel like God's laying that right out in front of you. And then you approach your spouse and your spouse doesn't respond that way. Or it's not as, it's not as good as you thought it was going to be in, in, in this correction. And, and you're sitting there going, gosh, I thought for sure that God asked me to do this. He very well could have. And yet, you st yet still, you're not going to get the ticket. To, it's going to be easy. I, I, I find that here at the church where there's times that you certainly just go, God, come on, you had us do this, but now look at all how hard it is. It's hard right now. And he's going, I never said it was going to be easy. I just did, prom I did promise though that I will be with you and I will work with you on the inside out from it. But I didn't say it's going to be easy. We can learn that just from looking at Paul's journey. Now, now let's keep going. Let's keep going. Now what happened? Let's get back to that map. Uh, so so he's, he's down there in Corinth and he has to change directions. Instead of going across to Jerusalem, he goes back up north again to Berea and then over to Thessalonica and Philippi. And then he goes from there to the place that we're going to camp out in today. We're going to to Troas, okay? This little town there, Troas. We're going to spend some time there today. And then ultimately from Troas, let's keep going, he'll eventually jump on a boat and then, he'll, and then he'll set sail and get across just north of Jerusalem and head down to Jerusalem and that'll be the end of his third journey, okay? Don't you guys, look at that map, man. That's, my, that's, some, that's a work of art that I did there. Now look, look. So we're gonna spend some time back in Troas a little bit. This is gonna be Acts chapter 20. Um, you guys go ahead and turn to it. Hopefully you guys can see it in your Bibles if you got that. But we're going to have it on the screens as well for you guys. Um, Acts 20, I'm going to skip to verse 6, okay? So if, you, if you're having trouble finding it, it's three quarters of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're getting close. You get to Acts right after that, and it's, you go to Acts chapter 20. It says this, this is on, in verse 6, we're going to start there. He said, we set sail from Philippi after the feast of leavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. You guys, this next part is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I've preached on it. I've preached on it here in Ascent a long time ago. I, I love this story. Okay, you'll see why when I read it. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then we went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Don't you see why I love this passage? 
I know, I know, it's totally random. It's, a, it's an odd passage. You go, what in the world? So the kid falls out the window and they bring him back alive and they bring him back up and he speaks to the rest of the day and that's it. There's so much about this story that I can relate to. One, I know that sometimes I speak on and on and on and on. And I see you guys out there, and man, you guys start disengaging. Just like Eutychus did, you guys start disengaging. I can see it. I see the, guy, the people with the phones out that right now you're looking at Scripture. But I know what some of you guys are doing. Candy Crush is on. Just know that if you're playing Candy Crush in the middle of church, you're not going to get to the next level. God's going to stop that from happening. It's not going to happen. So, so just, you know, it's not a good time to do that. All right, so here's, so, so, but I can relate to that. I can relate to it. But more than anything, here, you can picture what happens, you guys. The room is full. You got lamps burning, oil burning. The smoke from the oil is getting through the whole place. A guy's talking passionately about Jesus, because this is stuff that people hadn't heard before. And so they're listening, but there's somebody in the back windowsill. A bunch of people maybe in the back. And they're sitting back there and they listening to him and eventually one of them starts to do the head nod. You know, he's agreeing with Paul and he starts to fall asleep. And you know that head nod. I know the head nod, man. I, I was the king of the head nod. I would sit in the back row of Kane 130 at University of Washington, 700 students, Psych 101, and I'm sitting in the back of that room just doing the head nod the whole time, falling asleep. One time I fell asleep with my highlighter in my hand and I, and I was up against my white t-shirt. I woke up at the end of that class and, and my entire sleeve was yellow. It would ruin my Banana Republic t-shirt, which back when I was in college was the coolest thing you could own. And it was like, man, look what I did. How embarrassing is that? I mean, I know Eutychus sitting in the back row, falling asleep. And the guys are sitting next to him. And all of a sudden, one of the guys looks over and Eutychus ain't there anymore. And he looks out the window and he's laying on the ground three stories down. Paul, we got a problem. Eutychus just fell out the window. And so they ran down to the first floor and they eventually get Eutychus up and they, they revive him and it's a miracle and, and they bring him back up into the room. Paul doesn't see the cues at all. He just keeps right on talking. All right, he's back. Let's keep talking. Man, I know that too. Eutychus probably was wide awake from that point on. It was, uh, I was in a business law class at UW and I fell asleep and, and, and at the halfway point and the, at the, after that, the professor comes back in. There's like 80 people in the room and he says, tough night in the frat house. And I'm like, what? Yes. Oh, sorry. You know, and, and I'm wide awake the rest of the time. You know that Eutychus was wide awake the rest of the time. But what I love about the story is that the, is the back row Eutychus is in the back row. I'm going to go all the way back here. Eutychus is in the very back row, back here. And I know you guys can't even see me. I'm in the dark back here. But that's what happens when you're sitting in the back row, man. You are in the dark. And I actually, I got to blame my parents for this. The reason why I was a back row sitter is because my parents would make us come late to Catholic church week after week after week, and, and every time they would make us walk right to the front row, six of us, my three brothers and I and my parents, to the front row, and I would be like, everyone's staring at me, and so ever since then, I blame sitting in the back row on my parents. I blame the reason why I got a bad grade in Psych 101, my parents, it's their fault, not mine. So I'm in the back row. Those of us that sit back here, we know from the back row, I can judge you, but you can't judge me. 
I can look at you and say, huh, playing it on your phone, huh? Oh, falling asleep. You wore that to church? I could, I could judge you, but you can't see me. From the back row, I can engage and disengage whenever I want to. I can just choose, all right, I, I do whatever I want on the phone, anything. And then on the, from the back row, I can leave. Whenever I want to, I can choose to leave. Now, before you guys that are near the front get a big head and say, see, I'm not like you, you're, you're pathetic. I, before you do that and before you people in the back row feel like, oh my gosh, why is he picking on me? I'm not talking about where you're sitting in the room today. You people online, don't text me and tell me that you sat in the living room instead of the laundry room. I don't care where you're sitting. I'm not talking about where you're physically sitting. What I want to talk about is the opportunity that we have to sit at the feet of Jesus on a daily basis and soak in what God has for us, to soak that in. And yet how many of us, instead of soaking that in, are choosing a distance, are choosing the back row, are choosing to be able to, to engage and disengage whenever I want with God. How many of us are, are, are from that back row just judging everybody else? What their faith looks like, what their day looks like, what their character looks like. And we're judging them, but we're not letting them judge us because they can't see us because I'm in the back row. And how many of us might be choosing to leave at times? Take a break from it all. Fully disengage from God. How many of us can relate to sitting in that windowsill in the back, back row falling asleep? I think a lot of us can. Now, I've preached on this many times, you guys, and, and I've loved this passage, but it takes on a different meaning this year. Because this year, I think we all could find ourselves back there. This has been a year. My daughter's 22nd birthday is today. And I think back February 28th of last year to February 28th of this year. And I think, man, what a year. What a year we have gone through. And for, for, we, for we have seen, we've seen racial unrest in this year. It has been a pandemic that has defined most of us. We have, we have seen political unrest that we have never seen before and political divide, divide in families, divide in friendships, divide in the church that we've never seen before. We've seen we, our, our own judgment of other people is, is much higher than maybe we ever have had before. I show you, if I showed you a picture of something, you'd have an opinion and a judgment on that picture just from what we've seen in this last year. We, all, we it's, it's, this has taken its toll on us. We're more separated than we've ever been before. Separated from friendships, separated from church family, separated from our families at home. Parent, grandparents are not seeing their grandkids. Kids aren't seeing their parents. We're, we're separated. My, my mom still has not seen her great-granddaughter down here. And we've been more separated than ever before. In this year, the rhythms that were part of our marriages have been fully disrupted. See, when you think about marriage, you think over the years you develop rhythms. You develop, oh, this is how we, this is how I know, this is how I'm going to pursue my wife. I, I, it's rhythms. 
Over 27 years, I've learned a lot of rhythms. I've learned a lot of, of, of here's how I'm going to date my wife. And what's what this year looks like in dating my wife. Here's what pursuit looks like. Here's what love looks like. Here's what grace looks like. Here's how, the, this is what the rhythm looks like. And our rhythms have been fully disrupted. The rhythms of our high school students, the rhythms of our college students, the rhythms of our grade school kids have been fully disrupted in this season. And, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We all know this. Some have de dealt with death in their family because of this season. We don't even know how to wrap our heads around it and we don't know where, when or when it's, when it's gonna go away, what's gonna happen next. And so we're all facing this. Well, what I've talked to our, our staff about is I, I've said, I think what I've observed is I think every single one of us, every one of us, because all of us have been hit, we could all say that we are each at least one step south of healthy. We're at least one or two steps shy of, of if this is healthy, if I'm healthy and I'm able to see and, and, and experience things in a healthy place, I, I'm finding myself a step shy of that. I'm finding myself two or three steps shy of it. I'm finding myself five steps shy of healthy. And see, from these places, all these places that are shy of healthy, what has our response been to all the things that we face? And our response, you kind of go, you know, where, where is the, the, the kindness that I would normally show? Why is that not there? Well, we're south of healthy. Where's the grace that I would once have given to this person? We're south of healthy. Why is my opinion so, have a, such a sharp edge to it? We're south of healthy. Why am I receiving that opinion with so much edge to me? We're south of healthy. I understand why I'm so exhausted all the time. We're south of healthy. I think every one of us are. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, we can even assess, am I one step? Am I two steps? Am I five steps south of healthy? Not just, I'm not talking just physical health, but physical is part of it. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we're finding ourselves south of healthy. And then when you picture relationships within that, you go, no wonder my relationships have been taxed in this season. No wonder marriage has been so hard because if I'm three steps south of healthy and my wife is two steps south of healthy, then, then, then the way we're interacting with each other where there might be grace, there isn't, or there, where there might be a hold off on an opinion, there is an opinion. And the next thing you know, you're going, why are we at, on, at, on edge with each other? And where's the grace that, that we once shared with each other? We're south of healthy. I think about it more than anything, more than any other relationship, the relationship between a parent and a high school student. That's the one I think of more than any, because you guys think about it. If the parent is a two or three steps south of healthy, you guys, every one of our high school students are four or five steps south of healthy. Every one of them are. Because you think about the things that a high school student, the things that have been taken from them, the things that they can't do, that the heart, the, the life that they're trying to manage in their adolescent mind that they, they have, their, the life that they're trying to manage. This is a seriously hard time 
for a high school student and for a parent, if they were both healthy, remember for those of you that had high school kids, remember what it's like. When they're both healthy, you still have to talk to them about that, that health class notebook that needs to be turned in. And if you don't turn it in, you're actually affecting your college grade, your grade that's going to eventually affect what college you're going to be in. Remember those days? That's what the days that I just were living through where it's like everything that they did, I had to remind them. Now remember, this is affecting what could be your future that's when we're healthy. But what's that look like when I'm not healthy and my kid's not healthy either? Do you wake up treating them as if they are? And how much, how much are we waking up going, okay, I got to make sure they do this? Or how much are you waking up saying, God, will you meet them? Meet them in that place of south of healthy? Will you meet them when they're four steps south of healthy right now? Meet them there? And will you meet me here because I'm not reacting the way I'd like to react to all of it? See, I believe that right now in our life, because of all that has happened, every single one of us are carrying some of this lack of health. And there's very little grace in this, in this world right now for all of us in that. The grace that I'm extending and the grace that I'm receiving. See, I think all of us, if you took that picture from... 10,000 feet up, I think all of us might be right near that back row. Back row mentally, back row physically, and especially back row spiritually. Is that true for you? Uh, maybe it's just me, but I know it's me. I know that's where I find myself. And here's what the weird thing about it. We've grown in a year to accept it. We've grown to kind of, well, this is just where I'm at. There's an atrophy that's, that's formed. And we look at it and we say, well, someday through the vaccines and everything, we'll eventually we'll get back to normal and I'll be, I'll be able to get, a, get away from this seat. But the reality is we're all there, atrophy set in, and we got to do something about it. The first thing we got to do, and I, so I don't want to make this all depressing. I think it's just more real. It's just what, it's what we're dealing with. The first thing we got to do is recognize, yes, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm sitting. I'm sitting, I'm a little bit in the back row. I tend to be judging a lot of other people and, and, and I tend to be disengaging a lot of times and tend to be leaving a lot of times. And we're in that back row. So the first thing is just recognizing that. The next one is we got to recognize, do you actually want to change that? Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and he walked up to this pool and there was a paralytic guy at the pool of Bethesda and, he's, and, he, and he was gonna heal him. He was gonna heal this guy from being paralyzed for like 40 years. He's gonna heal him. But he asked him a question first. It was a powerful question for all of us. He said, do you want to get well? Do you wanna get well? What a profound question. Because you'd think that the answer was absolutely I do, but... Have we gotten used to it? When I was a kid and I'd be sick and I'd be sitting at home, my mom got me green jello and made me lunch and I got to watch TV all day. But back then it was just soap operas on there. But I did that. She got me Cracker Jacks for some reason, which doesn't fit with being sick. But I loved being sick. I go, man, I could do this all day for many days. Are we there? 
Do you want to get well? That's the first thing we got to do. And if we say yes, Jesus' response to that paralytic man was, stand up. First thing he said, stand up. And that's our first step. We're in the back row and we're sitting there and some atrophy has happened and he's going, stand up. Let's do that first. Do you want to get well? Yes. Okay. Now where do we go from here? And this is where our impulse is to run. Run up to the front. Fill your day with as many different things as you can. And you go, that's just going to, that just adds to the chaos. And even if it's Christian stuff, it just adds to the chaos. This is where it's counterintuitive. When we stand up, what we got to do is move one row. And that one row, I believe, is going to come from us slowing down. We stand up, slow everything down around us, and listen. What's God, got, what's God have for us? We listen. Then we slow down a little bit more, and we listen a little bit more. We spend that time with the Lord, and we just go, okay, I'm starting to move forward a little bit. This is why something like this book becomes very important. Because in this book, we can spend time in there and we can listen. Just not read it because you have to, but read it because God's speaking to us. And we slow down again. And we move forward again. See, I believe that we think about physical and we think about the emotional and the mental. And I believe those things are going to follow the spiritual. See, because ultimately what we are longing for is that we would love better and that we'd have patience and peace and kindness and goodness. Faithfulness would be, reassured, would be, would be recharged in us. Self-control, we'd start to see that. I believe that those are the things that we're longing for and those are all the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's right in front of us. And that if we can step up and say, yes, I want to I wanna get well. And we listen and it draws us closer to that spirit that's been there the whole time, but we now get to start to see it again. And it draws us to that love that you've been longing for and that patience and peace that you've been longing for. Jackie and I were talking about this and she gave me this book called Sacred Pathways. And in it, the author starts talking about, uh, 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 talking about uh, the, uh, the Gethsemane in our lives. And I love this. I love this thought with this. And this is why I'm going to leave us with this. I want you to think about this around this Gethsemane in our lives. She says that Jesus, Jesus would always, would always re, re, uh, retreat back to the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke, look what it says in Luke chapter, in, 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 check this passage out. In Luke 22, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives as his disciples followed him. Gethsemane was a little garden on the Mount of Olives. It was, it was Jerusalem, and then it was a wall, and then the Kidron Valley, and on the other side, it was Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus would retreat there as usual. He would go to Gethsemane. He would get away from everything. He'd get into this garden, and he would recharge. See, Jesus knew. He knew that mentally he was going to be taxed and tested. He knew physically he was going to be taxed and tested. And so he had to recharge spiritually in that garden. And I got to take 63 college students to the Holy Lands 15 years ago. 
And we went through every different location. And it was powerful for a lot of people. Nothing was more powerful for me than when we walked in through the gates of the Garden of Gethsemane. Because we walked down that path, down, down from Jerusalem and up that other side, and we walked into that garden. And when you walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, all you see is olive trees all over the place, olive trees. These olive trees are ugly, thousand-year-old olive trees where the roots have grown around themselves. It's a thousand years old, and I'm looking at these trees, and I'm going, Jesus sat under one of these trees. Not exactly. This because a thousand years old, and it was 2,000 years ago, but something that looked just like that. Jesus walked into that garden and he would sit under a tree and he'd listen and he'd sit under that tree and he'd talk to his father. He'd sit under those trees and he would re-engage or he would engage and he would recharge because he knew the challenge that was ahead of him when he walked out of that garden. And we have a challenge ahead of us and we know it. Mentally and physically, we know it. We've got that challenge ahead of us and we don't know how long that's going to last. And so what's it look like to recharge? What's your Gethsemane? We have to answer that. For some of you, your Gethsemane is, is your car on your way to work. And you need that five minutes to say, I'm going to slow it all down, turn off the radio. Turn off the music, turn off whatever you're listening to and just go, I need to recharge God right here. Some of your Gethsemane needs to be just at night. Turn off that last show that you're watching on Netflix. Ted Lasso can wait till tomorrow. And turn on and, and just say, I'm gonna, this will be my Gethsemane in this moment. I've talked about this before and I've heard especially from parents, especially moms of little kids and where you're going, I don't have the luxury of a Gethsemane in my life. And my answer to that is, do you think Jesus did? We gotta find our Gethsemane. We gotta find those moments where I can slow down. I can talk and listen. I recharge spiritually and mentally and physically allow that to follow. I was talking to a good friend of mine this last week, a therapist in Seattle. And he said, he said, Bill, you know what I've discovered that I do? He says, I finally just started to guard my 12 o'clock hour from 12 to one. And he said, what I started doing is I just left my office and I would go on a walk every day. He says, I go on a walk. And he says, I don't even put music in my ears. I used to put music in my ears, but I don't now because I, I'd like to just hear the sound of my breath. And he said, that slows me down, helps me to engage again with the Lord. And he said, so I spend that hour and I'm engaged more than I ever have been on this walk. And he said, but one other thing though, he says, I felt so isolated that I decided to do something on this walk. He said, every person that I would walk by, every one of them, he said, I would smile, I would wave, and I'd say hi to every person. I made a pact. There wouldn't be a person that would walk by me that I didn't stop and say hi, and then keep going. And he said, Bill, you know the Seattleites this time of the year, rain and mold and wet and mildew and everything. It just kind of, it's dark and gray. 
they're not ready for that smile. They're not ready for that, that, that wave. Very few of them respond, but he said, it lifts my soul as I engage with people. And I'm sitting there listening to David talk about that and I'm just going, you found your Gethsemane. You found your, your moment where you're just going, I'm gonna connect with the Lord right here, slow down. And you're taking a, a step to, the ne- to another row, another row forward, pulling out of the back row. You guys, we gotta just recognize, I'm a step or two south of healthy. Let's admit that. And then do you wanna get well? And let's take a serious look at that. Have I gotten used to the atrophy or do I wanna get well? And then can you slow down enough for those moments, your Gethsemane, what's that look like for you in your life as we pull out of this and we, and we grasp hold of the health that God is offering us, that he's leading us in physically, mentally, emotionally, that'll catch up. But let's, let's get this part first. Father, we pray that in this season that has been this year, where every one of us can very much relate to South of Healthy, I pray that you one, have patience with us, and I know you do, but I love it that you care about our health enough to ask us the question, do we want to get well? And Lord, I pray for all of us that sometimes maybe admit, no, I don't know if I want to. I pray that you'd help us to to recognize, no, I'm longing for that love. I'm longing for that peace. I'm longing for that patience. I'm longing to be able to give the grace that I want people to give to me. We pray, Lord, that you'd meet us in those spaces. Draw us closer to you. Let the rest of it follow. But God, I pray that in in these days, in these moments, that we would have Gethsemane moments that would draw us deeply close to you. And we'd find life there and health there. It's in your name we pray.